0: Welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren, and I'm Michael. How we doing? feels It it feels as though the cloud is lifting a little bit with this pandemic. What do you think?
1: Um, Yeah, it definitely does. But although here in the uh, stubborn, hard-headed South, it was in a lot of areas, it was like it didn't even hit. I mean, there were still people like shaking hands, you know, standing in line at Walmart. No buyers ain't going to stop me from showing Uh, you a little respect for. Well, government <laughs> they're just trying to scare y'all and stay at home anyways. You know, know that's right? the that's the thing. You know, that, that virus ain't even real. We had the flu for years.
0: You know, it's Yeah, I know. It, that that shit bothers me a little bit. Yeah, I I was I was telling my wife the tyrannical riding, governments just trying to get their grasps on us and keep us at home.
1: <laughs> well, our my our county, the county that I live in, kinda did like an unofficial open on May first. I, 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 don't, I say unofficial because it really wasn't broadcasted or anything except for like on social media and then it was kind of talked about, but it was never confirmed as far as I know. I don't, I don't watch the news that much, but it was never confirmed. And then all of a sudden, like we went out yesterday and there's people everywhere. Like there's people standing in line at Dairy Queen and uh, the Lowe's, Home Depot, Walmart. They're insane. Like everything was packed. It looked uh, open. And I was like, man, if if people if someone from California came here right now, they think we were absolutely insane, you know? it's just, yeah. because in, they're still they're still locked down. And from what I can tell, I mean, you know, I get most of my information about California from like Twitter, so but it seems like they're still pretty locked down, probably even in Vegas, too, right? Still pretty locked down. Yeah, out oh
0: there? yeah, the, the overhead shots of the strip are still quite shocking, just bare, like you might see like one or two cars.
1: Yeah, man. See, if that strip was down here in the South, bro, we'd already be back gambling. We probably would have <laughs> never left. We'd be like, fuck
0: you. I got-
2: <laughs>
0: Shoot out the glass in the front doors of the years. MGM and just start firing things up. <laughs> That's Dude, I'm serious. It. There's a lot of... There ain't no dealer of- here. I guess I won. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. Nobody shows
1: up. That's a better chance of me winning. Yeah, exactly. Uh. I don't know. In a lot of aspects it was like it uh it never happened. And that's that's kind of sad to say, I guess. I, I but I don't but at the same time, I don't think we had any higher cases than anywhere else. So I guess you could take it for what it's worth. It's not yeah. like
0: uh we're we almost, in uh, COVID-19. I'm starting to get to the point where it almost feels like we have to reopen a little bit just to see what's going to happen because we I mean, we could stay shut in forever and yeah, the cases would continue to go down, but at some point you have to go back to your life, you know, so we, we almost have to open in stages, see how it reacts, and then go from there, you know, it may go back to being shut down again, who knows.
1: Right, right, but yeah, I see what you're saying. You kind of have to test the waters at some point in time. Somebody has to pull that trigger and be yeah. like, all right, guys, let's, let's see what it's like out there, you know, open the vault door. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. like when you're, when you're in a fallout shelter, you know, it's like you're, you've been down there 10 years, we, somebody's got to poke right. their head out.
1: That's right.
0: <laughs> we're running out of rations in here.
1: That's right. Got to go out there and explore.
0: Yep. Well, we got a good case to explore. Um, oh, super did you like my case. segue there?
1: I did. That was very good. Very good. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, this is the prom night murders, man. We got, we got a really interesting case for you, so let's, let's hear your intro and let's dive into this thing. All right, let's do it.
2: I guess what we want to talk to you about is uh, when was the last time you were home? at about quarter to five Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening.
0: Detective or
2: police officer up there had you in the room and, and told your parents had been murdered. What, what was your reaction to that? I was shocked. I started crying. I mean, it, it, it stunned me. I didn't know how it could happen. I don't know why it would happen.
0: Was there anybody in the family you really didn't get along with,
2: how about your stepmother? We didn't get along real well, I mean we talked hi, bye type thing, but we never really talked to each other or anything, I mean I didn't I didn't hate her or anything, but we just, we we tolerated each other.
0: And how about your
2: stepsisters? Which ones? Uh, all three of them, what about them? Get along oh, I got along with the girls, great. I just love the girls. Did you and your dad get in any arguments uh, Saturday? No, we had a real good day Saturday. We got along real well. What do you mean you, you and your dad had a real good day? Saturday, we didn't argue at all. Um, it was, he was really... He, he said that I'd been doing a pretty good job of shaping up and everything. So do you know who killed your mother and father? Or are you, your father and... No, I, I really don't. I, I don't know who would want to. Did you have anything to do with it? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I, me and my father didn't get along sometimes. Sometimes I'd be really upset with him. But we always worked things out. I, I could sit back later and see where he was coming from.
3: It didn't get kind of rough for you as far as the... He kept telling you he didn't want you to go to prom or
1: at the after prom party or whatever.
3: It, it did. Happened. I was I was
2: upset and I kept trying to talk him into it. And At first he kept saying no and then he finally agreed, to let, agreed me go. to let me go.
3: They're gonna clean up your looks with all the
2: lies in the books
3: to make a citizen out of you. Cause they sleep with a gun keep an eye on your son so they can watch all the things because the drugs never work, they're gonna give you a smirk, cause they got methods of keeping you clean. Gonna rip off your heads, your aspirations to shreds, another cog in the murder machine. They said teenagers scare the living shit out of me. They could care less as long as someone don't bleed. So darken your clothes, or strike a violin pose, maybe they'll leave you alone, but not me. One more time. Oh, teenagers scared the living shit out of me. They could care less as long as someone will bleed. So darken your clothes, or strike a violin pose, maybe they'll leave you alone, but not me.
0: Teenagers scare the shit out of me. All right, our case this week—we're calling it the prom night murders. Um, you could basically attribute this to one person, um, but there's more to the story than that, and uh, and it's it's perfect timing, right? Prom—it is prom season, right?
1: Right. Although it's not really happening, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I, I'm. I know a lot of seniors are probably upset about it, but now looking back. At my prom, I'm like, that happened, what, uh, 12 Overrated, years ago, right? I guess? I'm like, eh, I, I could have done without it, really. Yeah. I could have done without all the stress and the what do you wear when you pick them up, and we got to go here, and we got to have money for this. And I don't know. I, I just, but then again, I'm not a teenager. Teenagers are a totally different frame of mind, man.
0: That's right. I, th- I think Jeff yeah. Pelly, pandemic or not, would have made this happen somehow. He would have had the prom happen there was no stopping him from having his prom night.
1: Right. Yeah, he probably would have just been jamming there by himself. Whatever right. he's got to do with his, you know, with his rigged up Mustang, however he has to get there. He would have
0: gone to every kid in, in his high school senior class front door and ripped them out of their house and said, we're having a prom. <laughs> I don't care if we all die. Right. Just, maybe yeah, just killed my I mean, family for this. And, you know, you remember
1: that song by uh, My Chemical Romance? I think it was called Teenagers or something. It was like teenager scare the living shit Oh yeah. You remember that song? Dude, yep. this this is why. And I remember cuz I was a teenager when that song came out, right? So I didn't mm. I was like, okay, you know, whatever cool, you know, I feel like a badass. I'm a teenager. But now at 30, I totally get it. I'm like, yeah, because teenagers are so unpredictable and they're they're so self-centered and when but they're also full of energy and they're also intelligent and their brains are are still developing but they're, and they're also, almost full
0: grown. Like There's a they're lot of, a lot of big teenagers out there. They're capable of just about anything that an adult is capable of, but exactly. they're exactly irrational and emotional and and selfish. And selfish. Most selfish Most mostly for sure. Se- they still right. have that mindset that like a two year old has where I should get what I want all the time. Yes. And nothing's stopping me.
1: Right. And and you know um, you know, when you were a teenager and you had something that you wanted to do for you, bro, you could do amazing things. You could do <laughs> amazing things, and <laughs> you know they, they, the biggest, the biggest case, I guess, w- regarding the defense of this was that there's no way he could have done it because of the time. I call bullshit. Because when I was a teenager, I could get shit done, bro. Oh, Especially for sure. When you're motivated something for, for something
0: you want, like you said. Like, if there was something you wanted to buy and your parents wouldn't buy it for you, they said you had to work, like, you would bust your ass. I would go mow 50 lawns Yes. to get what I wanted. But at the same time, my parents couldn't get me to mow their lawn without me bitching the whole way through, you know? Exactly. <laughs> shit, they probably couldn't even get you to pick up your damn clothes off the floor. Right. Much less mow the
1: lawn. So, yep. Yeah. It's uh, teenagers, man. They got a different type of motivation. And when that's tapped into, they they are scary. I get it. I get the song
0: now. Yeah. Well, let's 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 get the backstory on this. Let's let's talk about this blended family here. This is kind of a uh twisted version of the of the uh the Brady Bunch, right? Brady Bunch. Yeah. This is a this yeah, is a, a very twisted version. Family of two widowers that had gotten together with their own with their own set of kids and then blended these families together and they had t- Different parenting uh, perspectives. They had different perspectives on life overall. I would say, you know, Bob Pelly and and uh, Dawn, this woman he gets with, and and they had been raising their children in different ways, and then they threw them together, and it kind of created for an, an odd household. Um, right. And and how it even got to that point was was weird. Like Bob's transition to uh, to uh, South Bend and where they were living at the time of this occurrence in 1989. But yeah, let's start talking about Bob Pelley. He was born in Northern Kentucky, raised in Ohio. Bob uh, had, as his sister, John Boso, later recalled an early call to the ministry, but after changing his mind and deciding to attend Youngstown State University in the late 60s, he'd reversed himself yet again and enrolled in a religiously affiliated school. So he was back and forth early on, wanted to pursue you know, a career in, in religion, um, then changed his mind and then changed back to it again. While attending Mount mm-hmm. Vernon Nazarene University in Ohio, he'd met and married Ava Joy Armstrong, whose parents Jack and Mary Armstrong lived across the Ohio River from Cincinnati in Kenton County, Kentucky. A year or so after the marriage, Joy Pelly, as she was called, gave birth to Robert Jeffrey Pelly, um, and he would end up going by Jeff in Kenton County, December 10th, 1971. Jeff Pelly would share a birthday with Mark Michael Clark Duncan. Emily Dickinson and Bobby Flay, and there's a reason I'm sure you can yeah. read between the lines as to why we're saying his birthday is affiliated with these people because Jeff yeah, may or may not have been the killer. Oh, do we do
1: something? Do we do something with birthdays in the show?
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe this is your first time listening. And you have no idea. Uh, yeah,
1: that's right. You'll find
0: out. Michael Clark Duncan, though, uh, rest in peace. One of the one of the great actors. I loved him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Good dude.
0: Um, and Emily Dickinson, obviously a, a great poet, and Bobby Flay cooking up steaks for chef? you, flaying up them steaks.
1: Yeah. I thought he was a chef when I saw his uh, name. I don't I'm know. Like, yeah. And it sounds so much like fillet, which makes yeah. it easy to remember.
0: Yeah. I wonder <laughs> if that was his birth name or if he changed it just to become a better chef. Dude, if if your last
1: name was Flay and then you became a chef, I mean, it's a very short stretch to call it fillet. I mean, you could right. you know, and he's probably got he's got plenty of money to change it. He should he should hey, consider you,
0: that. You saw what Joe Burrow did down there in LSU, right? When he, did, he took the, uh, the Cajun name or whatever, he, he made his name from B-O-R-R-O-W to with the U-X for the, the Cajun spelling. He actually did that for the championship oh, game, I think. Yeah. He, he actually had that put on the That's back of the cool, jersey. It blew up, and then the jersey sells for that, that fake last name that he created. Like Bobby Filet should have just went with that. He just went with Filet, Bobby Filet.
1: Yeah, exactly that you could sell a lot of merch. See, Joe right. is already thinking this dude's going to make a lot of money in the NFL.
0: Oh, dude, he's yeah, he's he's a smart marketer and a great player. We'll see if he can turn the shitty Bengals organization around. <laughs> yeah, he's not a miracle worker. We'll see. Yeah, many have tried. <laughs> <laughs> There's though, a big anchor it, dragging down, down that organization do you got to try and pull. We'll see.
1: Now, the Bengals were hot for a minute when the uh, when Andy and then they had Ocho Cinco they were like yeah. the team
0: to beat there for They a were on Hard years. Knocks. Yeah. Child please. Yeah. <laughs> remember That was his they favorite a force saying. They were forced to be reckoned. Ocho Cinco would say child please. Everybody it was basically him saying fuck you. Yeah, yeah. Child yo. please. <laughs> child please. That was his way of being able to tell the owner fuck you. <laughs> right, right. Looks better in the um, papers. Right. So yeah, a little bit after 3 years um uh, a daughter followed after uh, Jeff was born. A daughter followed Jacqueline K. Pelly, known as Jackie. By that time, Bob Pelly had gone into the growing field of computer networking. Both Bob and Joy were members as their their respective families of the Church of the Nazarene, an evangelical missionary that uh, sect that believes that perfection of the soul is possible, that original sin can be erased by the heartfelt acceptance of of and perfect obedience to the Holy Spirit. so. Sure you know that a perfect bit obedience about
1: part, yeah. That perfect obedience part is the scary stuff. Yeah, because it's it's how. Because if you hold your children to that standard, how do you enforce that? How do it you enforce? I'm of the
0: belief that it can't be done. Mm. It can't. <laughs> it's just that breaking obvious. all the rules of nature. <laughs> it
1: obviously can't be done. None of us are perfect. Like kids are gonna fuck up. They're perfect not perfect obedience. Get out of here! Like hey, if you if you never did anything wrong ever as a child, like you. You were disabled. I don't want to know like, you,
0: first of all, if you legitimately didn't.
1: Yeah. yeah kind of weirdo would that be? You're freaking weirdo. You just believe <laughs> everything everybody told you and just right. follow directions. Yeah, that's, that's a you boring got no life. no fun
0: stories at all.
1: Right. Who cares if they told you the
0: stove is hot? Touch that thing, man. Touch it once. I'm kidding. Don't touch it, kids. Stick your hand in a weed eater like I did just to see how it feels. Right.
1: Just see how it feels. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then let your mom feel bad about it for 20 years before you finally tell her. You did it on purpose, <laughs> <laughs> dude. Don't worry, you're gonna get your payback. I fucking know, oh,
1: little guy, man. He's 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 a little yeah, ball he's of a, energy. He's a mad man
0: yeah. Yep, he's gonna be just like his daddy. Yep. Yeah. So, um, with as far as the Nazarenes, uh, as such, reputation of one's prior sins with sincere repentance can cleanse the soul completely. One can be reborn in this life in this spirit of Jesus, according to the Nazarene belief. Um, so that's what they were following at the time, and then by the late 70s, the Pelly family had relocated first to Orlando, Florida, by 1979 or 1980 to Cape Coral, uh, Cape Coral near Fort Myers. Uh, city directories there from that time show that Bob was employed as a tech for the local telephone company, United Telephone, until about 1984. Around that year, Bob changed jobs, taking position with Landmark Bank, a South Florida financial institution. Bob worked at the bank's data processing headquarters in Fort Myers, so. And it's at this bank that things get kind of weird and that you get an alternate maybe motive as to how this family was later murdered uh, right. in regards to the bank. In the summer of 1983, Bob and Joy bought a small house in Cape Coral. The future seemed bright, but then tragedy struck. Jo Pelly, Joy Pelley was diagnosed with breast cancer, and on February 24th, 1985, she died in the hospital in Fort Myers at the age of 34, so she was taken very young by cancer. Quite sad, and it changed the trajectory of this young family's lives. Bob was 33 at the time. Jeff was 13, and Jackie was 10. Um, and this shows you a little insight into this family and Bob Pelly, uh, his you know the depth of his religion and how yeah. you know, serious he took it. He would not let these kids cry. Jackie later said, "Quote that's the way we were raised." Uh, the day that mom died, prior to her death, dad sat us down on the couch and said, "No matter where, whether she lived or died." We had to go on with our lives, and we weren't to be crying about it. And he told Jeff to go do his homework and told me that I had to go to school the next morning and that that was typical of Dad to be that way. So after she died, it was just business as usual. They weren't allowed to properly grieve. Um, and within a few months, Bob had found a new woman with her own family and put these two families together. Um, right. It was, but go
1: ahead. I was just going to say, with the, with the re- religious aspect of it, I think um, – you know, they see it as a as a celebration, and if he's he's already had a lot of this religious background, I'm sure. Though he's going through all these jobs, I'm sure his religious affiliation is still somewhat the same. His belief system, and you know, the if, belief if that tr- she's
0: gone to a better place, legitimately, and you truly believe that. So why exactly? Why I agree like about it's it? a
1: celeb- yeah. It's a it's more of a celebration.
0: Yeah, we should be happy for her. She's where we want to be,
1: right? Exactly. And there's no point in in crying and being sad about it here and still knows? or your young or maybe, kids
0: your you your your kids are 13 and 10 they still need their mother like i i, I get that you believe you're yeah. happy for that she's in a better place but still the kids miss are going to miss her dearly on earth while they're still here Absolutely. and want to see her and don't want to have to wait you know how many 60 70 80 years to finally see her again you know if you believe in that so right i Absolutely. still think it's right to let your kids grieve regardless Dude, of your belief
1: everyone should grieve go through a grieving yeah. process otherwise you're going to be come carrying it around
0: later. with you deep below and you're and it's you're not going to know why you're acting the way you are but it's because you never properly handled that situation just like you know we talk about therapy and whatnot if you have dark thoughts or whatever to get those out you know
1: yeah because they're going to come out sooner or later yeah and the way that they come out is crucial
0: mm-hmm. so six months later that summer at a family gathering in ohio bob met don hayes huber uh, a widowed mother of three daughters, Jessica, then six; Janelle, five; and Jolene, three. So she had three daughters, daughters of her own. Don's first hus- husband, Ed Huber, had died in an accident in Ohio eight months prior. Although some said it was actually suicide, so it's a little point of contention there as to how he died. But it's it's kind of irrelevant, really. By November of 1985, Bob and Don had married. The merger of their two families was not, uh, not without difficulties. Jeff, for one, thought his father, who had been too fast to join with Don. The pain of losing his mother and seeing her replaced as the object of his father's affection so soon after Joey's death created resentments of Don and of Bob. Um, that's typical, a legend.
1: you know? That's...
0: Yeah. Oh, that's for sure. That's part for the course.
1: Yeah. yeah. Especially at, at Jeff's age at the time. But it, it, yeah. it was fast, though, right? Like, both of, both of them lost their significant others. Under a then, year. Yeah, and then nine months later, they're married.
0: Yeah, it was eight months for Don, jo- for uh, Dawn, and it was only six months for Bob since his wife had died.
1: Oh my God, that's that just seems so that's sudden, quick but... for the
0: kids. I mean, I can understand the, the the spouse moving on that quickly, but the kids, that's quick. But you know what? Though to try and accept a new mother figure or father figure, you know, after that's your right. parent died. But
1: here, here's um, something I just that just occurred to me is that if Bob had already made up his mind that he was going to be a pastor or go into that field at this point or in any time in the future, you you can't you kind of can't show up to pastor a church as a single father with a couple of kids. Yeah,
0: that's true. You,
1: you can't do that. They, they want to see a family unit. They want to see a whole family working together to show that you have interest in all ages in your yep. congregation. Does that make sense? Yep, 100%. I, I don't think I've ever known a pastor I... to not have a full family.
0: Even if even if it was a scenario where his wife died of breast cancer, you know, still it's just like he's gonna. Ha- how many people do you have to explain that to for them to understand that? Because a lot of people might assume that you had a divorce or something like that, and that's a bad image for a pastor to have, you know. Exactly. Yep, um, you're right. So I, I did get a book to study for this case. Uh, it's called uh, "The Prom Night Murders" by Carlton Smith, and allegedly, according to the author of this. Um, Carlton Smith. In Jeff's mind, his father seemed to have abandoned his original family for a new one, and in place of his mother was a young, uh, another younger woman who seemed different, uh, diffident, altogether incapable of asserting herself. At least with Bob's children, so the mother, the new stepmother that he had, um, he says Jeff supposedly Jeff found it uh, found her hard or incapable of asserting herself. But it's like, would you want this? Would that be? How would that be taken by Jeff or or his sister? You know, for her to come in and just immediately start asserting herself. I, th- I think that's probably a good thing that she didn't come in and right away start trying to do that, take over the mother's spot. I, mean, I don't know. I guess yeah, you couldn't win would... in that situation as a step parent. It's like you you don't want you to go in and start to. laying down the law, but you also don't want to be a pushover. You know. Oh yeah, it's
1: definitely a tough situation. But why? Yeah, but like you said, why would he want her to? But also, yeah. why would she want to? I mean, you want these right. kids to accept you. And I think there's yeah. that there's that there's that per- time period in a new relationship, especially when you have children, where it's like the the other one is just like that fun parent for a while. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Until they kind of get more comfortable with each other. Co- that co-parenting, man, and then parenting, um, you know, half siblings and things. That's a that's an art right there. Like I got yeah. I have high respect for people who do that well, because right. that's very difficult. It's very yeah. difficult.
0: No doubt. Uh, also, Dawn was only 13 years older than her stepson, Jeff, who was clearly not happy with her sudden appearance in the previously clo- knit, close-knit lives of the Pelly family. Then, sometime later, something happened, something that would be shrouded in mystery, confusion, and rumor for the next two decades, and that pertains to the bank that Je- uh, that Bob was working at that we talked about a little bit earlier. As Bob's daughter, Jackie, was to recall the story, fragmentary through it was someone who was only 12 years old at the time. She first heard about it. There was a problem at the bank. Money had gone missing, so the story went perhaps such as a million dollars or possibly there was a problem with money laundering. Jackie never knew the details, but one night in the fall of 1986, as she recalled, her father got a telephone call summoning him to the bank's fortress-like computer headquarters in Fort Myers. The following night, according to Jackie, the the Pellies were leaving Cape Corral. As Jackie put it later, they left in the middle of the night for a place they had never been before, and even more significantly, they changed their religious denomination no longer were they at the Church of Nazarene. They were now members of the United Brethren. The next thing Jackie knew, they were all in Lakeville, Indiana, just a few miles from South Bend, where her father had taken a position as pastor of the Olive Branch Church of Osborne, on Osborne Road. So they just uprooted their life in Florida and up and leave and head for South Bend, uh, in Lakeville, Indiana. You know, and it's just, it's right. very odd. You know, pertaining to the bank, it's like what exactly happened with that.
1: It is very odd, um, and it is also odd that it took this type of circumstance for Bob to finally be a pastor. Yeah, you know, because when you take when you take a job as a pastor, one of the things that's done, like you know, as we saw with their house, they lived in a parsonage, you know, on the church property, yeah. which is very yeah. popular um, mm-hmm. in the Midwest and here in the South. There's a, there's two or three churches down my road, and they all have little parsonages beside them where the pastor can live. So it's like, if, you, if you're trying to uproot and go to a new place, it's probably the easiest way because you have an entire congregation there to help you. You instantly have a, an abundance of friends right, and A network that you tap into. And a place to stay immediately. Right. That's not part of your salary. It's not taking, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And it just, it just struck me as odd that this is what drove him to finally be a pastor. That kind of hit me weird. No doubt. You understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah.
0: And he had, and he had, he was doing well in Florida. He had transformed himself from a promising computer maven into a fairly impoverished evangelical preacher in a small, out of the way place in northern Indiana. Uh, it was mm. very sudden. And like, like we said, he was, dude, he was doing well in Florida and everything was going fine. So it's just kind of odd that up, it wasn't, didn't seem to be planned out, you know, it just like boom, overnight, they were gone. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, The book speculated what caused her father to abruptly take his family out of Cape Corral. Over the years, there were bits and pieces, fragments of whatever had happened that no one really talked about. There was something about some sort of dispute with superiors at the bank. The bank had recently been acquired by a larger bank, but but not before. Some employees of the old bank had been caught up in a $50 million money laundering scandal involving a Colombian who was washing cocaine proceeds for the Cali cartel. This is, you know what, I didn't even think about it, but this is Florida. In the in the, in the '80s, right? Yes. Like, oof! That was the freaking. That mm. was the spot for cocaine. I mean, that's what. Yes. That's that's Cali what the Cartel? whole s- plot line to Scarface is you know Miami in the '80s the you know the cocaine cowboys and all that stuff. Dude, and the Cali Cartel was no one to mess
1: with. Like no. they had resources. I mean, we saw that like in the first episode of Narcos. Well, I right. think the second, not first episode, first season. Because I only watched the first season. Once Once Pablo was gone, I was like, eh, but. Right. The second season was about the Cali cartel, correct? Mhm. Yeah. So maybe I'll, exactly. I'll go back and watch that, but their I mean, they their presence was huge in the US, especially
0: in Florida, South Florida. Yeah, no no Narcos is amazing. Yeah, the first season I believe was the Medellin cartel and then the second season was the Cali cartel. Yeah. So good. So good, man. Netflix. If you haven't seen that, definitely check it out. But yeah, it's, it's, they're they're scary. You don't want to play around with them and it sounds as though this bank was playing around with them and <laughs> Bob Pelly was a part of it, you know, and, and then all of a sudden he flees the area and heads up to the you know midwest and that is sketchy,
1: not gonna lie that's yeah. that seems that seems sketchy in a lot of ways,
0: yeah, uh this Colombian that had just been arrested a month before Joe Joy Pelly died, the bank employees were arrested for cook- uh cooking the bank's books to permit the laundering. Was this why her father had suddenly pulled up stakes in South Florida to move to all of places, Lakeville, Indiana? Um, Was this why he'd abandoned his career in the then burgeoning computerized banking field to become a pastor in such an out-of-the-way place as Lakeville, Indiana at a church of a different denomination at a fraction of his former salary? (laughs) So these are the questions that were raised regarding this. Good questions. Yeah, and then it leads to a very crazy, you know, situation where the whole basically the whole family's murdered you know well and, and that's the questions
1: and that's the cartel way right you know what i mean they're not just going to hurt you because you might not be afraid you might be like well you know i'll risk going against them if they would just kill me right. if to knowing that my family would be set up for life but knowing that the cartel would kill you and your family yeah that makes it that makes it a um, little scarier
0: no doubt. A lot of people are watching uh, Binge Ozark and all that right now. Very similar situation there. Oh, you yeah. You see what the cartel is capable of as well. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, uh, the question, the book question more. Did Bob Pelly know too much? Was someone willing to kill the entire family to keep Bob's mouth shut? Jackie didn't know, uh, but the seeds of doubt and suspicion of Florida, of the banks, of the drug pushers, and later even of the police in both Indiana and Florida were sown, were sown. Um, mm-hmm. Don's oldest daughter, Jesse recalled, it was largely a happy existence. However, once they were, um, up in Indiana, um, apart from the brooding presence of her stepbrother, Jeff, now Jeff Pelly, apparently was a bully to his stepsisters In a book she released in 2019, nearly 30 years after the incident, uh, Don, uh, Jesse recalled that Jeff taunted her constantly, but the two incidents were particularly alarming, where when she was around seven, she camped out in the backyard with her siblings dressed in uh baklava and pretending to be a kidnapper. Jeff dragged her out of the tent by her feet in the middle of the night. On another occasion, he threatened to throw a hairdryer in the tub as she took a bath. Well, uh, I, I mean, yeah, I guess, but I mean, he didn't do it, and that just sounds like an older brother, stepbrother or not, like the kind of things that an older brother would do, yeah. To me.
1: I guess so. I, I mean. I don't know. The Yeah, I guess scaring her in the middle of the night. Yeah, that's that's definitely something my brother would do, but threatening to throw the hair dryer in the bathtub, you know, I don't know. I don't play with that kind of shit. You know, right. if, like if I ever did yeah. that, my dad would slap the hell out of me like that. Yeah,
0: rightfully so. Yeah, you that's should.
1: you just don't fuck around with stuff like that, man. That's not a joke. Right,
0: right, right. Um <clears throat> yeah, and in re- retrospect it looks a lot uh looks a lot more gruesome, you yeah. know.
1: Yeah, it does. It does. That's that's true too.
0: Yeah. Um, Jesse said that it was more than just child's play. It was the stuff nightmares are made of. Which leads us to the spring of 1989. Uh, Things weren't going smoothly in the Pelly household, even by their standards. 17-year-old Jeff was at war with his reverend father. The family dynamics pitted Jeff and Jackie against the rest of the family, particularly Dawn. Quote, we didn't always get along with Dawn or see eye to eye with her, Jackie told ABC News in a retrospective on Jeff's case, we did not agree with the way Don was raising the girls because it was different than the way we were raised. So as we mentioned, the, the two parents had come from different schools of thought when it comes to raising children. And then they were thrown together, their kids were thrown together and the kids disagree on how they should be raised and the parents disagree on how the kids should be being raised and all that. Right. Um, the, feel, the feelings were mutual on, on other side. Uh, Jessica said during the same program, quote, I just remember a lot of rules, she said, like in church, we couldn't talk at all. We had to sit there and listen. If we did talk, you know, we got a spanking when we got home. So,
1: yeah, that was one thing that she said about Bob was that he was he was a big spanker. He spanked her a lot. Talking about a little odd when
0: it's not when it's not even your, you know, your blood child. It's not your kid, and and you've only maybe I don't know how how long had they been together at this point. How how quickly did he start spanking? You know, Dawn's kids. Like I'd be a little weird about that, right? If I were Dawn, you know.
1: Well, now you are talking about. A you know in the eighties, it's a little bit more yeah. old school form of thought. The man is the head of the household. You know what I mean? Like his he's a word reverend in a church. He's a reverend in a church. He's he's respected in that community in that little circle.
0: He's which, laying the hand of God.
1: Right, right. So it's it's looked at a little <laughs> bit differently. And and I mean, some people may be like, well, why didn't their mother speak up? Um, probably because she had nowhere to go. Yeah. You know, and she had already invested herself in this new life, you know, and she needed yeah. someone to provide for her.
0: Yeah. Well, sometime in April of 1989, Jeff had been grounded, throwing a serious wrench into his prom night plans. So it was prom night oh, coming up. I can't even go to prom and with he's, my friends. <laughs> yeah. And in bad timing, he's at war with his father during this time. Yeah. Um. Um, and he wanted to go with his girlfriend, Darla. He couldn't imagine her being at the prom without him dancing with somebody else. You know, I'm sure these are the images that were going through his head. Oh, you know it, because um, Darla was going to go. Yeah. <laughs> Part of the grounding uh, of uh, young Jeff involved Bob prohibiting Jeff from driving his prized Ford Mustang and attending any activities around the prom, including a class trip to the Great America Amusement Park outside of Chicago to ensure that Jeff did not simply grab some keys and drive uninsured Bob told a friend that he had removed part of the engine from the Mustang. So this is pretty serious stuff. I mean, they really are at war, and he's taking this punishment of his son seriously. As we mentioned, he's a reverend. He means business. He ain't playing around. Jeff's not going to disobey him. Shortly before prom night, Jeff told Darla, however, that he was lobbying his father to ease the restrictions for the weekend. You imagine Jeff on his best behavior trying to kiss ass to his dad so he could, you know, in some capacity participate in prom night. Oh, you Shortly know before prom night, Jeff told Darla that he was uh, lobbying this. Eventually, Jeff received permission to attend the prom on the condition that Bob drove him and Darla. Uh, and imagine that's embarrassing. Instead of being able to drive your date in your Mustang,
1: right. you and got your dad
0: driving you. That's just not going to hang. That's yeah, not going to fly. but we forgot to mention while, why he
1: was in trouble. He was in trouble for a burglary.
0: Yeah. Right. It's in Jeff was. I, it's, in it's in here a at some burglary. point, but yeah, he had re. And his dad turned him in on that. By the way, <laughs> his dad found out yeah. that he had stolen something from someone's house, and his dad turned him into the police. Well, so. he had to.
1: I mean, with his position in the community, you kind of have to. Right. If, if it That's comes true. out that you were harboring your son, who's a burglar, like you have to, right. you have to lay down the law, especially when they're young, because mm-hmm. it's it's an excuse, right? Like, oh, he's just a teenager. Kids, boys will be boys. They'll do crazy shit. But I mean, for. For Bob to then be like, well, you know, you can go, but I got to drive you. I mean, I think that's that's more than fair, honestly. True. Like, if I got a True, but if you're Jeff,
0: bro, if if I I got man, that's
3: embarrassing.
1: <laughs> no, right. yeah, it's not for Jeff, obviously. Because, you know, he lives yeah. in Jeff world. Like all teenagers, they live in that
0: little world. Right. <laughs> and somehow, shortly after Bob agreed to, you know, let Jeff go, if he drove him, supposedly, he also told... Shortly after that, he told Jeff that he had a change of heart and that he would allow Jeff to, uh, to uh, attend all prom related events on his own. And that's what Jeff told Darla, um, his sister. And so, you think it, things are progressing quickly? All of a sudden, Jeff's getting all these you know, rights. It seems a little odd, especially when you know how strict Bob is. It doesn't seem like his character to just flip and be like, okay, you can do it all yourself. I don't care. Just doesn't sound right to me. No, not at all. Uh, he told Darla too to keep this the news quiet because quote it was a sore subject amongst the family. This conflicted with testimony of five people at Jeff's uh, later trial that said that uh, Jeff was only going to the actual dance and that Bob was driving him. So yeah, there, the common belief was that things hadn't changed as far as Bob was only agreeing to let Jeff go if he drove him and his date to the prom, and that was that. And there was no there wasn't going to be any going to Chicago to the, the amusement park and all that.
1: Right. Right.
0: So on that day of April 30th, 1989, Jeff went to work at McDonald's as usual that Sunday morning, returning home in the uh, early afternoon. That Saturday morning, I mean, um, returning home in the early afternoon. This was prom day, Saturday, April 30th, 1989. The entire Pelly family was present when he returned home from McDonald's, except Jackie and Jessica, who were spending the weekend with friends. As the prom approached, Jeff, uh, friends of Jeff's, began dropping by the parsonage where the Pellys lived. Now, this is that type of um, home. It was a parsonage, you know, it it was almost like a community home. Like, it was always available. Like, lights were always on. The door was always unlocked. People could come and go. And as usual, you know, friends of all the different kids were showing up. And uh, friends of Jeff's began dropping by where the Pelleys lived at around 4.30. Kim, a former girlfriend and her mother and prom date, stopped by to show off the young lady's prom dress. Kim later testified that she felt tension at the house and that Jeff was particularly quiet and not dressed for the prom. He was casually dressed in a pink and blue shirt and jeans. Um, another friend, Matt, stopped by for a few minutes until he realized that uh, he left his date's corsage at home. He departed and at about 5.15 passed the house, noticing Jeff's car in the driveway. Way to go, Matt. So it appeared, it appeared to Jeff's friends and other people that were attending the prom that Jeff was not going. It's, uh, by all, you know, all clues would lead you to believe that. His car is sitting in the driveway. He's not dressed for the prom when they stopped by, um... And then Darla, Jeff's date that was, you know, it was supposed to be his date that night for prom, received a phone call from Jeff at around 5.20 p.m. Um, Jeff said that he was at a nearby Amoco gas station and called to let her know that he was experiencing car car trouble and was running late. The attendants later told police that Jeff was dressed in a black shirt and jeans, so...
1: he changed clothes. According
0: to the... Yeah, he changed clothes, but he still wasn't dressed for a prom quite yet. Right. So... Maybe what you would wear, you know, without the suit jacket. I don't know what kind of... I guess jeans, you wouldn't wear those either. So he still was not ready to go to the prom. No. Right.
1: They're still doing tuxes. I mean, we're still doing tuxes now, so...
0: Exactly. Um, By 5.30 p.m., Jeff and Darla were at a friend's house where Jeff changed into a tuxedo. The two couples then left for a prom night dinner. Meanwhile, back at the Pelly household, a family friend who had been expecting Bob and Dawn to stop by to see her in her prom dress showed up on the porch on her way to the dance. Uh she found that the Pelly all of the Pellys vehicles except Jeff's were there were uh where they were, were there where they expected to be. She did notice that the house was uncharacteristically silent and dark. All of the window shades were drawn and the doors were locked. So very odd for the Pelley household to be locked down like this, the lights off, doors locked.
1: Especially having and young girls that typically were playing outside in the yard. Yeah. You know, I mean it's it's seven thirty. You know, it's not right. That's just so that was very strange for them. A lot of the people in the community talked about how strange it was. And also, their dog was left
0: out as well. Yeah. Which they said was odd. And Jeff's vehicle's gone. Mm -hmm. Um, But only Jeff's vehicle. So somebody had
1: to be there. I mean, if he has a Mustang, I I mean, it's a four seater at best, you know?
0: Yeah. And I want to know how did how did Jeff get his because supposedly Bob had taken the engine part out, right? did he Did he figure that out? I don't know.
1: um, it said I saw a couple articles that said that it was basically he had adjusted the carburetor in a certain way where the car wouldn't run right. And Jeff figured oh, okay. it out. I mean, okay. carburetors back in the day, those engines aren't that hard to work on. I'm sure that was a rite of passage to know how to how right. to tune your carburetor. And if you have a flathead screwdriver or a key or a yeah. quarter, I mean, you know, you can make it happen. And I think that's what Jeff
0: right. did. Yeah. So, Jeff and Darla enjoyed a dinner at South Bend at around 7:30 p.m., arrived at the prom. He and Darla attended a post-prom party at a local bowling alley and then spent the night at a sleepover at a friend's house. So, Jeff's got some real he's basically getting to do whatever he wants this night. He's not even kind of coming home at this point. And at around at 7 a.m. on Sunday, April 30th, Jeff and Darla, Darla left the sleepover to go to get Darla's car and some money. While Darla was retrieving, retrieving money from her house, Jeff spoke with Darla's mother, who said she was surprised that he was going to the Great America uh, theme park. Jeff responded that he had a quote two-day pass from the Pelly prison. Jeff and Darla and the group from the slumber party proceeded to Great America. Now he's doing everything involving this prom, going to the Great, going to Great America. At Great America, Jeff became quiet and told Darla that, quote, he had a feeling that something was wrong and felt like something wasn't right inside. And it's at this point you have to wonder if he did do this, that he's yeah. he's thinking this is about the time that, they, that what I've done is being discovered, and it's a sobering moment. He had his fun at the prom, and now it's time to face the music kind of thing, like, oh, shit, what have exactly. I done? You know, was it that's, worth it, maybe?
1: That's the way I took it, too, because I was like, oh, it's funny, that as everything is dying down, now he's like, Oh, yep. I feel like something's wrong. Yeah. You know, after you just lived probably at that point in his life, probably one of the greatest nights of his life. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden he's like, Oh, something was wrong. It's just it just came out of nowhere.
0: Yep. No doubt. Um, so yeah, the the Pelley family was due to be at church. You know, he's the he's the uh reverend, and by 9 a.m. that Sunday, you know, people at the church are wondering where, where's Bob, you know, he's always here by now, you know, he's probably, I imagine would be the first one there.
1: Right. Kind of crucial. Uh,
0: on Sundays. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and so when he's not there, people start, you know, questioning and they end up getting a skeleton key to his parsonage to the, to the Pelly family home. And someone from the church went inside to kind of look around. And the first thing they, they saw was in the hallway. They saw Bob's glasses laying on the floor and they, 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 were kind of thrown off by that and they they basically said there's been a fight and then within further looking they discovered Bob was laying face up in the hallway with uh, blood on his chest and arms and appeared to be dead Um, they then called 911 and and, then the responding ambulance the trustees called an ambulance after the paramedics arrived they found the bodies of also of Don Janelle and Jolene huddled together in the basement dressed in everyday clothes. Each had been shot once from a distance of a few feet with the same shotgun. Um, they also, the, as they investigated the house, they noticed that the, the shotgun, um, Bob's shotgun that was usually hung up on a rack on the wall was missing from the rack. Yes. Um, and this was apparently the, the murder weapon was from within the, whole, the own household. It was Bob's gun. Um, Dawn had been shot in the temple, Janelle in the forehead, and Jolene just be, right, below her right eye. Um, Bob had been shot twice with deer slugs from a 20 gate shotgun, once in the chest and once in the neck, his feet were pointed toward the end of the hallway, leading to Jeff's bedroom and the master bedroom. Um, and he was dressed in everyday clothes rather than pajamas and, or, or church clothes. So they were led to believe that this didn't happen, you know, that morning before church, he wasn't dressed in his church clothes. It was, It would have been the night before, most likely, because he was dressed in normal clothing, and it would have been before bed because he wasn't in pajamas, so they're trying to kind of piece this together. Things
1: are starting to narrow down real quick here.
0: Yeah, there was no sign also of burglary or forced entry, and the only item that anyone can identify as missing was Bob's 20-gauge Mossberg pump-action shotgun. Jessica told police that he saw the gun on the gun rack in Bob and Don's bedroom before she left to visit friends on Friday afternoon. Inside a washing machine was a small load consisting of a pink and blue shirt, blue jeans, and socks that had been thrown into a wash cycle. A luminol test of uh, of the washing machine cylinder was inconclusive, indicating either a reaction with blood or with phosphates found in laundry detergents used in 1989. So Man. those those uh, detergents back in '89 were serious.
1: <laughs> yeah, apparently, and that's also a weird thing to wash. Like, who throws in one outfit? Like wh- someone what, who just murdered what? their family. <laughs> and they got that's a it. to make that's the only person <laughs> because otherwise your mom would be so pissed you just filled up that entire cylinder with water without throwing some other clothes in there what the hell's wrong right, with and you right you didn't man? even
0: turn it on light load you did heavy right. load you prick
1: you, you, you asshole you did it on hot <laughs> you motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> right
0: uh, police would note quote it did not look like a burglary burglary it did not look like a home invasion detective center called recalled a as a detective i saw the worst of the worst that morning but we had a job to do. So immediately uh, started talking about suspects. The one suspect that investigators began to look into almost immediately was Jeff Pelly. Center was familiar with Jeff Pelly just weeks before prom. Jeff was caught stealing CDs and some money from a nearby home, and Center worked the investigation. That's when Bob had turned his son in for that after discovering he had stolen things from someone. Right. Bob Pelly. Uh, grounded Jeff for the burglary case. He could not go to the prom without his dad taking him. He could not go to dinner before the prom. He could not go to the after prom. The embarrassment of this father driving him to prom, center said, was crushing to Jeff Pelly. I believe he killed his family and then he was able to go to prom. So that was the lead investigator's belief right off the bat. Um, and shortly after that, Jeff was somehow tracked down at the Great America by authorities and brought back to Lakeville on the way home. Jeff unprompted said, quote, he didn't do it. And asked Darla if she believed him. Jeff gave two statements to police. One at 4:45 a.m. in the presence of his grandparents. You can actually see some of that on YouTube. Yes,
1: I did watch that. That is interesting. The, just the,
3: his yeah, body I language. Think the fact
0: that his grandparents were on each side of him gave him a little bit more confidence because he. I mean, he he was pretty smooth talking for someone who was in that situation, but he also didn't seem very shook by the fact that his whole family was just killed either. You know? No, he did not. He's such an 80s kid. He's like something straight out of like the Breakfast Club, though. Like the haircut, the fucking like the jacket, the like running jacket or whatever that was, smoking jacket thing that he was wearing. But definitely the the skinny, tall build. He was just totally could have been in an 80s movie. No doubt. Um, so, during the questioning, he said he stopped at Casey's gas station to fix his car. So, there you go, fixing the Mustang, whatever. He was probably running like shit on the way to the gas station, right. and then he adjusted the carburetor there.
1: Now, remember, Darla um, said... He might have even that, gotten help
0: from someone at the gas station if he didn't know what he was doing. Right.
1: That's right. But then Darla said it was an Amico station. So, we, got, oh, we already got some discrepancies Casey's
0: here. versus Amico. Yes. I mean, um, it's, a, it's kind, of a, um, kind of a big difference there. Yeah, and he told police at 7 p.m. He gave another statement and repeated the same story. However, by this time, police had questioned Darla, who told them that Jeff had called from the Amico station. So yeah, they're finding finding some differences in his story. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff visit and something also I took from the interview. Uh, it's it's something small, but we've seen so many uh, we've seen so many of these interrogations and stuff of suspects that we later found out did it. And one thing one common thread is that they offer up stuff that, that's unnecessary. Like, he kept saying, like, I don't know who would do this or why they would do it. You know, like, that's something that an innocent person doesn't usually say like right. when they offer up more information like that. Like, why would someone do this? It's like, you're trying to draw attention away from yourself by saying that. Right, right. And he probably is actually trying to think of a reason
1: why somebody would do it. <laughs> 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 he's sitting there, exactly. actually. He's like, no, seriously, can, can
0: you give me some help? Because I... Offer really me trouble. up a, an alternative uh, yeah. theory here, please. I <laughs> really than have trouble coming me. up with an alibi. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, once investigators came out and accused Jeff of the murders, he, quote, slumped down in his chair, lowered his head, covered his eyes, then asked whether he could see Darla that night, whether he would go to jail that night, and whether he, could get the elect- whether he would get the electric chair. Why would you that ask that? That doesn't sound like someone innocent to me. Dude. <sighs> if you're innocent, you get angry, right, when you're accused, typically? yes. yes. You don't just look defeated like that, like "oh shit, you got me." No, and you definitely don't say shit about the death penalty if you're right. innocent. Exactly, exactly. I mean, that right there—that sounds was like the someone who's already coffin. searching for a plea deal type of thing. Exactly. But they—that being said, like that's—that's that's as far as it went. They didn't have any physical evidence. They didn't have any. I mean, his DNA was all over the house. Obviously, he lived there. The murder weapon was nowhere to be found. If he, in fact, did this, he that was the smartest thing he did, was getting rid of that gun to mm-hmm. where it was never found and again. And picking up and the shell casings. Picking up the shell casings. Um, he, he it, well, I mean, we're assuming he did this, right? Just based off of everything that we could find. Yeah. It is pretty incredible, the timeline, and how quickly he was able to do this and then how quickly he was able to properly clean up everything. As, he, as we said, just the thought to pick up the shells, to get rid of either clean the clothes or get rid of the clothes to get rid of the murder weapon mm-hmm. lock up and leave and then act completely normal that's another thing he i mean there's pictures of him being dipped on the dance floor by a friend like he he was having the time of his life that night and there wow. was no signs that he had just murdered his family no it was that teenage
1: energy bro that teenage energy yeah. i'm telling you it's not to be it's not to be reckoned with when right. they get when they get focused on something
0: yeah, so even with all of the signs pointing towards Jeff and with his behavior during questioning of dipping his head and asking if he was going to be getting the electric chair and whatnot, prosecutors still initially declined to press charges on Jeff for murder, and eventually he moved on and married, had a son, and built a successful career as a computer consultant in Florida, and it the would end. be 13 <laughs> years. Yeah, the end, <laughs> the that's end. that. You Thanks know. for tuning in, guys. Right. <laughs> kind of like our case that we did last week on Patreon, actually. The boy in the chimney. Oh God. Yes. Very similar. No real closure in that one. No. But but good. good I mean good we pretty then. much know who did it, but yeah, no real closure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so almost thirteen years would go by, and there actually is some closure to this one, and there's some justice served in the end, we believe. I mean, some some a lot of people still believe he's innocent, but thirteen years would go by with Jeff living a normal life before his past finally caught up with him yet again. In two thousand two, a new prosecutor looked uh, took a look at the case and decided to charge Pelly with four counts of homicide, even though there was no new evidence. Authorities arrested Jeff Pelley at a Los Angeles international airport on his way home from a business trip. Frank Schaefer, then a, an, a, uh, an assistant district attorney for St. Joseph's County said that the case hinged mainly on Pelly's motive his anger over prom and the timeline of events on Saturday, April 29th, 1989. Jeff was arrested in 2002, but he did not go to trial for the murders in two, until 2007 when he was 34 years old, due in large part to the legal wrangling between the state and defense about admissibility of evidence related to counseling the family that went that underwent in 1988 and 1989. So took him 13 years, but I guess a new prosecutor came in and decided, you know what, I know you guys thought you didn't have enough, but I think we have enough to win in trial just based off the circumstantial evidence. There's so much overwhelming circumstantial evidence that – I guess this prosecutor was still confident to get him convicted. Yeah. Um,
1: and and I agree. I agree. There's definitely I think there's enough evidence.
0: It's really hard to to it's really hard to imagine anyone else killing them, right? It just does this, this the perfect the, like, just the timeline like you said, like the prosecutor said. Also the timeline look, of events like okay. he is obviously at war with his father. Right. And how how could he how could his in that hour in which he's sitting at home not dressed for prom to an hour later he's at a friend's house putting on a suit you know to to go to prom and in that time his family was killed and he knows nothing about it yeah. like if it was the cartel like damn that's that's some no. they they chose the perfect moment to make someone else look guilty didn't they
1: yes they did but also if it was the cartel jeff would be dead too man don't get it twisted jeff would be dead right and so Jesse would the other daughters
0: dead. the well, daughters that didn't, they weren't home there there was two daughters that we barely mentioned yes. but yeah
1: the girls that were at camp, they would, yeah, they, yeah. they would be dead. I mean, they're not. to Jessica leave, was
0: you? at a friend's house. That was Dawn's. That was Dawn's, uh, I believe, oldest daughter. Yeah, she was at a friend's house sleeping over, and then, and then the the oldest Pelly daughter was away, at college or a camp or something. Yeah. His
1: his biological sister was probably the only one that he wouldn't have killed.
0: But, yeah, but I, I agree. I, Jessica I, for sure would have been dead, and she knows oh, it. Oh yeah, talks Jessica about it would have been dead if she later. was there.
1: The stepsister, all three yeah. stepsisters would have been dead if they were there. 'cause I mean, look, yeah. he took out only the people that he had an issue with at the house,, mm-hmm. you know I mean he he yeah. father was number one, and then now you have witnesses, but you don't really care about them anyway, you're not emotionally connected to them. that woman's trying to be your mom, you know, in his yep. eyes, he's like, I don't give a shit about her,
2: mm-hmm. and then
1: you can't leave her the daughters i mean all right. it's it's just it just all adds up to him, man it's just only one conclusion,
0: yeah. Uh, so at Jeff's, def- at Jeff's trial, um, the defense was that it was impossible for someone to meet the timeline established by the prosecution. In short, his case-in-chief was that the state's theory of the crimes was inconsistent with the laws of nature and human experience. Pelly argued that as a teenager with 20 minutes, could not kill four of his family members, put his clothes in the washing machine, pick up the shotgun shells, take a shower, get dressed, draw the blinds, lock the doors, fix his car, and dispose of the gun and shells. Bet. Bet he can. Uh, yeah, yeah. As we mentioned, teenagers scare the living shit out of me. They're they're capable of a lot more than we think. And yes. really, twenty minutes, maybe thirty minutes. What what a five, What you take a five minute shower at most? You know, at most. And then, as far as like you take the you take the gun and the shells with you, and on your way to the friend's house, you throw them in a river or something like that, and most yep. likely they're never seen again. That's, That's right, seen again. So both of those those things right there are, can be done within a few minutes. Or maybe he already. He fixed his car at home, obviously, because how do you
1: drive to a gas station and then fix your car, first off? That makes no freaking sense to me. So you fix the car right. at home, and then while you're, quote-unquote, at the gas station, you are uh, dumping the weapon
0: and the, and the yeah. uh, shells. Oh, yeah. There you go. Um, so. Jeff also wanted to present numerous statements that might explain an alternative theory uh, of the crime. However, most of the evidence was ruled inadmissible Rulings that have held up on appeal um, he was not allowed to present evidence about uh, would, would be these following things. Bob's role at the corrupt bank. So he wasn't allowed to really talk about Bob's strange uh, dismissal at the bank right. and how they just fled and and, and moved to another state. That's and fair. Took on a That's, new grasping. Life. That's grasping. That's grasping. That, but I mean, the defense should have been able to present alternative theories, in my opinion. Um, also, inconsistencies between statements made by Jackie and Jessica about the presence of the shotgun in the master bedroom that Friday. Um, also, was not able to present how he did not have any bruising that might have resulted from the firing of many shots from a shotgun. Okay. Who would yeah. have bruising from shots from a shotgun? I, I don't Listen, understand. Listen,
1: you're not going to get bruising from a 20-gauge. Maybe from a 12-gauge. Yeah, from a 12-gauge, yeah. yeah. You might get some bruising. But a 20-gauge at 17 years old, you're not going to have that much bruising. Yeah, that's not even to be considered.
0: It took a lot to bruise me when I was a seventeen-year-old boy. Like it's you're you're pretty tough. Exactly, you heal fast, too. Yeah, and from firing a shotgun a few times, I don't know. uh, The alleged presence of of suspicious cars outside the parsonage in the days leading up to the murder, supposedly. There was a report made to investigators in August of two thousand two that a resident on Pel- on the Pelly Street said that another person who also lived on the street told them they had seen a white limousine with Florida license plates in the area of the Pelly home on the day of the prom in nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, so because many kids years take later. limousines to prom. Duh. <laughs> yeah, and this isn't reported until two thousand two. You know, like that's that's bullshit. And there's Florida license
1: plates everywhere. Flor- Floridians, yeah. they get around. Dude, they're everywhere. Yeah. I saw just as many Florida license plates. Because they're all
0: plates. retired old people that are just traveling around during, yes.
1: during summer, you know. And I saw just as many Florida license plates when I lived in Nevada as I do right here in the South. So I I know yeah.
0: Floridians, dude, they're
1: everywhere. They get around, man.
0: And a limo? Who's gonna go execute a family <laughs> and drive a limo to do it?
1: <laughs> they, just, they just roll away with like the freaking music bumping, popping champagne. Right. Yeah. I know, it just a limousine, not your best getaway car. I, I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't use that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh Jeff also wanted to argue that the prosecution was politically motivated to help the prosecutor during an election year. Uh, there's something to that. A lot of people get convicted during election years to make someone who wants to get reelected look good. You know, that's definitely happened. Yeah, but that just seems like another perk. It just yeah. seems like a
1: little ad a little icing on the cake for that prosecutor.
0: Yeah. Jeff's uh, blood sister Jackie has continued to fight for Jeff's release, presenting evidence she claims will exonerate her brother. According to an article in the South Bend Tribune, Jackie claimed to have uncovered the following evidence, quote, another man who reportedly confessed to the crime. She said the man knows the details of the crime scene not revealed to the general public. So, okay. but who is this person? Uh, yeah. It's not out there. Um, Robert Pelly also received a death threat in the weeks before the family was killed, she says, and despite an extensive search, no murder weapon of the Mossberg has ever been found, which we know. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that your brother's innocent just because the gun was never found. Right. Congrats. He was capable of pulling off a crime like that. That doesn't make him innocent. I mean, no. as far as, like, he got rid of evidence. Good job.
1: Yeah. And also you know he'd been grounded it's not like he got grounded that saturday and then all of a sudden hatched this plan within a within an right. hour like he'd been brewing yeah. on this
0: yeah i thought i think he got to a point leading up to the prom where he said i'm going to this prom no matter how i have to do it and yeah. when, and he tried i think he tried and he, he tried rallied to, with his father yeah. to try and get it done without having to do this and then it just wasn't happening and, and that was his last resort that's right he went through plan a plan b and then he was like Ugh,
1: this is I guess we're going to have to enact Plan C here.
0: Yeah. Um, Jesse Pelly, now a nursery school teacher, is convicted or is convinced that she also would have been killed had she not been at a friend's house on the night of just prom. Quote, Jeff hated me, said Jesse. I would have died with the others ha- if I'd been there. Remarkly, remarkably, it only emerged in 2002 that Jeff might be the culprit. Initially, it was assumed that Bob had turned the gun on himself after slaughtering his family.
1: Then what do he do, hide I had- the
0: gun dead? Makes no damn sense. Yeah, seriously, right? How could that even
1: <laughs> like there's no gun beside him? You know how there's no gun, there's work? no
0: shells. Like Oh, yeah, that just I immediately threw that theory out. I was like, get the hell out of here. Right. That's what I had in my head for years, said Jesse, who was raised by relatives. Quote, I directed my anger towards Bob and toward my mother for marrying him, but the murders were a forbidden subject and nobody talked about uh, talked to me about them. Jesse last saw her stepbrother Jeff when she was 15. She says he invited her down to visit him at his Florida home. At the time, Jesse believed her stepfather had killed the killed the family and then himself. One of the first questions Jeff asked her when she arrived in Florida was about who she sought, who she thought committed the murders. Quote, "I thought it was weird that he asked me who I thought did it," she recalls. "It was done. It was over with. It was just kind of weird." Her opinion of who committed the murders changed enough, too, as we mentioned, when the investigators arrived at her home and explained that they were reopening the case and that the main suspect was now Jeff Pelly. She said, quote, When I found out it made no it made sense to me because he was a very violent person, says Jesse. She would end up testifying against Jeff Pelly at her trial. growing up, she says her stepbrother enjoyed being a bully and after took often took it beyond normal sibling rivalry as we'd kind of gone through earlier. Yeah, pretty creepy to think that he had invited her out to his home in Florida after this, after he had gotten off, gotten away with murder for a while.
1: Right. Well almost
0: know. makes you wonder, like, was he gonna kill her if she if she kind of if if he knew she was gonna testify against him, she he probably would have killed her too when I she think, went down there, you know? Yeah. But she was oblivious. She thought that the father had done it. I think that he was... He must have picked up on that. Yeah, I think he just had
1: a little bit of anxiety towards her because Jackie took his side, right? But Jesse was yeah. his stepsister, so yeah. he's like... A wild card. Yeah, he's like, that's my only wild card. If I can kind of get to know her, engage mm-hmm. how she feels about this whole thing, maybe that'll kind of either put me at ease or let me know what
0: I need to do. Yep. Yeah, keep, keep your, your friends right. close and your enemies closer.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Pretty, yeah, pretty creepy. Um at Pelley's 2006 trial, Schaefer argued that Jeff Pelley shot his father in an argument over prom and then had to get rid of the surviving witnesses, all with a, within roughly 30-minute time frame. Quote, It was very, very small window when the family could have been murdered, and it was very clear the only person who could have done this was Jeff, Schaefer said. After a six-day trial, which included nearly 40 witnesses, jurors deliberated for 34 hours and returned a guilty verdict. Jeff Pelley, now 34 years old, was sentenced to 160 years in prison, four consecutive 40 year sentences. A court of appeals would end up reversing the conviction. However, in 2008, just uh, to be followed in 2009, uh, the Indiana Supreme Court upheld the conviction and he is now incarcerated at the Wabash Correctional Facility near Terre Haute, Indiana. However, more than three decades after the murder, Jeff Pelly's case is still working its way through the courts. The Indiana University McKinney Wrongful Conviction Clinic is representing Jeff Pelly in a motion for post-conviction relief, and it plans to present evidence of his innocence later this year in 2020. Looking forward to it. There's actually a website as well, justiceforjeff.org, that was last updated uh, on New Year's Eve of 2019. And yeah. uh, the, the, the oldest sister of Dawn's, who was Jeff's stepsister, Jessie, who we keep talking about. She wrote a book called I Am Jessica, I believe, last year. And she finally came out. She was quiet for, like, 30 years. She went into hiding. Yeah. She she basically changed her identity, um, started her own family, and tried to move on from this. But then uh, with Jeff's trials reappearing and all this stuff, she decided it was time to come out and tell her side of the story and and help to get him locked away for what what she now believes he had done to her family. You you
1: know know what I... You know what? Something is really odd about this case, though. You know, you had you had all this testimony from neighbors and friends and family and people visiting the house and coming and going, and no one heard the gunshots. I did not hear one thing about somebody saying I heard a couple bangs at five o'clock or five fifteen. I
0: nothing. I feel like the nature of their of the parsonage, though the fact the fact that like. It was a Saturday evening. Church wasn't in session, and then then because they're like they're living in a house on a on like a large church property, I don't think they have like direct neighbors where they're right next door to someone. Okay. You see, if you look at pictures, I I think they had a little bit enough space to where a shotgun isn't also isn't as doesn't travel. The sound doesn't travel as well as as a pistol or or a rifle. You know what I mean? A shotgun is. And I guess not inside too. Yeah, and indoors. Yeah, and if other people are indoors. Yeah, I, I guess so. I just that just struck me as really odd. Um, that is true, but that that regardless wouldn't change who who killed the family. the The fact is, they were killed with shotgun, or killed by a shotgun. Yes. Whether it was the you know the cartel or Jeff, the, the, nobody hearing it is is irrelevant. Kind of, but yeah, it is odd that no one ever mentioned hearing the blasts for yeah. sure. I just that just struck me as odd
1: yeah yeah a weird case man i'm I'm interested to see what kind of evidence they bring out though claiming his innocence. I'm pleased I feel bring like we've that heard to it me. all.
0: What more could they dig up? you know that's what I'm saying. That they wouldn't have already tried to present well, you know how uh, they you know how these innocent uh whatever you call
1: them organizations these innocence proven organizations mm-hmm. what they do is you know when they if they get defeated, they don't announce that they just kind of dip out they just kind of go they just fade away. <laughs> They're like, "Oops, yeah. my bad. Let me step out the back door," you know. And then right. we're all kind of like, "Hey, are you still trying to prove his innocence?" You know. Um, yeah. So, I don't know, man. There's just, there's just, like you said, there's nothing really you can bring. There's no one else. If it was the cartel or something serious like that, why would they have waited three years to get him? They lived in that parsonage for three years.
0: Yeah, and you why know? would they use his own shotgun? And it, why would they? You know why would they? Why would there be no signs of entry? Why would they? They wouldn't care. They'd would kick in the door, kill the family, like yeah. with their own weapons. Like I don't know. I just none of it makes it. it everything points to it being someone in the family. No and doubt. Jeff had the motive, and he wasn't. He wasn't killed coincidentally. He was at the prom an hour later. Like, it's just it.
1: It's almost cut and dry, man. All but yeah. the confession.
0: Yeah. All right. How about does it? Why do my pits smell delicious? Oh, I, do, I have to tell you, I tried something pretty crazy Uh-oh. during this quarantine. And, but I guess it's not crazy because I'm in quarantine, so it really doesn't matter. Once I do this out in the public, then it's getting a little weird. Okay. I yesterday decided to experiment, and I did fireside in one armpit, and I did sailor in the other armpit. How did that work out? It was fine. Nobody noticed. Smell but, uh, <laughs> like a ship on fire? I felt like I was walking around with a little edge to me, you know? Oh. Like, you don't know well. the kind of life I'm living. I got two different deodorants in my armpits. Right. I'd be super
1: suspicious of you. I'd be like, what's with this guy? Is he trying to get away with something? So, you know, some witnesses would be like, I oh, kind of smell like a salty sailor. And some people would be like, I oh, smelled like a fresh campfire to me. You can't be the same guy.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> right? Whoever's standing on each side of me is going to have a different vibe. Your dogs are They're probably like, know. what the hell
1: is wrong with you? they only stand on one side you can tell which uh which uh scent they like the most exactly right (laughs) If you guys don't know what kind of scents we're talking about uh we're talking about oh my gaia oh my gaia is an innovative all-natural deodorant fragrance and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum free products their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness at oh my Gaia, they use only all-natural, paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. And like Lauren mentioned, uh, he has a couple scents: Fireside Sailor. There's vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk. That's one of my favorites. Uh, coconut, uh, sickle, leather, lumberjack. There's tons to choose from, guys. And we have our very own scent called True Crime Pine. Has our old-school podcast logo on it, the one, the OG logo that we first started, um, very cool, it's kind of a pine, cinnamon smell, it's definitely unisex, I would say, anybody could wear this scent and pull it off, um, and because you guys are Creepers, True Crime Guys listeners, you can get 15% off your order, if you use the code word Creeper, C-R-E-E-P-E-R, and you can get, like I said, you can get 15% off at com. that's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A dot com. Or at shop underscore oh my Gaia on Instagram. Do so, it. Do it, guys. It, you, also, the price is good too, guys, compared to other organic uh, deodorants, aluminum free, paraben free products. The price point
0: is right. Yeah, and those little jars, they last a long time.
1: Yeah, and they're multi purpose. You can reuse the jars, use them for other things. Yep. That way, your, your, your plastic speed stick shit doesn't end up in the fucking ocean. You know? There you go. There you go. It's a win-win.
0: Yep. Uh, I want to thank you guys for going and rating and review the podcast. Even if you just go click five stars and throw some fire emojis in there, that works if you don't want to take the time to write up something or if you're not you know any good at writing, whatever. You don't know how to express yourself. It's all good. Just throw some fire emojis in, click five stars, or write a long thing, too. That's great, too. We also like to look at that. So uh, I want to thank these people over the last couple weeks that have gone and rated and reviewed the show on iTunes. Uh, Miss Levent uh mslv uh said fun and informative five stars these guys most definitely make murder charming thank you uh twin peaks d great show keep it up guys five stars thank you um they were both in the u.s uh also in the u.s maddie maddie mateo matthew uh five stars great host and clear entertaining stories thank you uh I want to thank Amy K0085 in the US, best true crime podcast, five stars. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. Uh she said this podcast has been helping me get through the COVID quarantine. These guys do their research and they're hilarious. Thank you. Thank you. Uh 2B, 2BK fan in the US said, Great podcast, five stars. Thank you. Uh John Gilbert in the US. Um, actually. John Gilbert was the one who suggested this case. He oh, thanks, rated John. and reviewed and suggested Jeff Pelly, preacher's son kills family, to attend prom. And, dude, there you go. You get your shout out on the episode as well as the episode you wanted. So, man, <laughs> you, you made out. Dude, great thank case you. suggestion. It was great suggestion. Absolutely. Definitely great suggestion. Um, obviously, we, we went ahead and rolled with it. Uh, Janeth G89 in the US, favorite podcast, five stars. Thank you. Laura Grimes in the U.S. said, The best. Five stars. Thank you. And uh, that about does it in the last two weeks. And it's been two weeks because we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash truecrimeguys, where we did a an exclusive episode last week on the boy in the chimney in Colorado. That's right. Interesting case that we think um, the common narrative of him maybe falling, being murdered maybe mean? being not we have our own theories yeah. uh, and we even have a suspect who we believe did it who is walking the streets right now potentially and it's pretty scary so absolutely if you have 2 bucks to spare per month you know like the price of a coffee as they say that's right you can go over there and get that episode <laughs> and you can get a bunch of other bonus content like there's like 130 recordings or something on there you got Michael's old show uh higher thoughts which there's what 30 something episodes yeah, of that like are 35. still up on there so yeah. they're not great time there. on there um, um, you so, get our premium episodes. You get in on the drawing that we do whenever we get around to it. We do a drawing every now and then and give yeah. away free stuff to the patrons. Um, and, yeah, there's different tiers. You can get gold stickers if you're a $5 a month creeper, all that stuff. So, yeah, definitely check out patreon.com slash guys. Uh,
1: speaking of patrons, I have a special patron I want to give a shout-out to uh, for, for whatever reason. And I just like his name, and we talked about it. We've, we gave him a shout-out before when he became a patron, but it, you know what I'm talking about Bud Larson. Yeah. Well, Bud Larson, his he's I'm giving him a shout because he can't figure out how to leave us a review on Stitcher. <laughs> and he said, "I've been a five dollar patron for about eight months." He said, "You guys got a customer for as long as you do this. If I could figure this shit out, you guys would get five stars, no <laughs> doubt." So, Bud, I want to I want to give you a shout, man. I appreciate you know you being a patron is worth more than any review, in my opinion. So, right. Uh, thank you, and you have the greatest broadcaster name I have ever heard of.
0: Stitcher is difficult with to be fair too with the reviews. Like the only way I can view the view of the reviews we have on Stitcher is on a desktop. I can't do it on a phone or a mobile device. So yes, maybe that's Maybe that's how you have to rate us and review us is on a desktop as well. It's like who who listens to podcasts on a desktop though? You know, so like they didn't make it a little easier. Yeah, right. Seems well, as though there's no perfect podcast app, is there? Because I, I listened to that episode someone suggested us as, as far as the uh the whole way that Apple did you listen to that? No. It was, what was the Darknet Diaries? I think is the podcast, and it talks, it talks about, about the, the whole the algorithm that Apple uses on their podcast app as far as rating podcasts and all that, and it's pretty bogus. And you have all these people in India who are uh, basically reaching out to people in America that have podcasts or in all over the world and saying, "Hey, for five dollars, I will promote your podcast and I'll get it at the top of the charts," and it legitimately works. Like if you, I'm, we're never going to do it because you could get banned for doing it if you get caught. And also, we'd rather just not be like that. But there are podcasts that pay people in India to, like $5 to promote, and their show for a day or two will be at the top of the charts. And they do it with like, they have thousands. I listened to this whole episode. They have thousands of Apple IDs that they log into and they subscribe to the said podcast of whoever paid them uh, like thousands of times to the point where they rise up the charts that day and they oh can even God. get to number one, number two in their category. I see and what so you're lot, saying.
1: Oh, because so that's how those, those people reach out. Because when those people reach out, I always look at their profile and I'm like, you got like 20 followers. How the hell are you going to help us? But, right. I, but I see. Right. I see now. That's, yeah. that's interesting.
0: It's a whole scam they're working where they have thousands of Apple IDs and then they, all day long, it's there's like desk job over in India. There's people that do this for a living. They spend all day logging in and out of Apple IDs, subscribing to a podcast, downloading all the episodes... Log into a new one, subscribe, download all the episodes over and over and over again until your show rises the charts. It's not based off reviews oh as far like as a lot of people, as we believed for a while, like rate and review, and that'll help us rise. No, that doesn't do anything on the charts. It's, it's all about your subscribers in a day. In any given day, how many people subscribe to your podcast? And it could be as few as 50 people subscribing to a said podcast in a day to rise you up the charts. It's about subscriptions and okay. downloads, but mainly subscriptions.
1: Wow! Yeah, we're not doing any of that. You guys see, if we're on the charts, which we actually have been top 200 for yeah. the last uh, few weeks, and if you guys you know that's legit when we that's are legit, that's organic. I don't even have I don't have time to do that shit or the extra money to blow right. on possibly getting scammed. by Nor somebody. would I want to
0: fake it to make it. I'd rather be underground, like known as like one of the better underground ones, than be at the top and be a phony. You know? Yeah,
1: true that, man. So. True that. But uh, yeah, if you guys uh, still want more content. If you're already a patron and you've listen to everything we have, guess what? We have another show. We have another show called Strange and Unexplained, and uh, it's a true crime guy's production. I mostly I get to uh, host that one. So and uh, Lauren has a part that he plays in that show.
0: It's it's a different dynamic. Breaking down the cases like cardboard boxes. That's so what is right. It, breaking That's, down the. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Lauren does.
1: I had to yeah. make him one of the one of the coolest intros I think I've ever made. Uh, but he deserves it. So. But that that ep- the podcast is available everywhere you listen. We just released episode five. Um, What's and it wrong focuses, with that, Diane? Great. That's right. That's right. The Taconic Hot Freeway Crash of 2009. Um, probably one of my ep- favorite episodes to date. Not not because of the tragedy, obviously, but just putting it all together and the speculation that ensued and and everything around that case. But a lot of these cases are going to be unsolved or just strange cases. That we bring you on that show and it's it's a different format uh it's a little more serious but you know i mean you can't recreate what we have here in true crime guys so it's a little different flavor but again that's strange and unexplained and that's available wherever you listen i know for a fact it's available on itunes apple Podcasts, google play stitcher spotify i mean what else are you using those are, i mean if you're not using one of those what are you doing with your life get off it of, get out of. right <laughs> but it's available everywhere it takes a little searching and if you have to, uh, search True Crime Guys, and it should pull it up. But, guys, if you could, go subscribe to that show. And then you can also support that show on Patreon at patreon.com u podcast. So I appreciate all the support in that show. We both do. And uh, we're trying to grow this thing, guys. And uh, we appreciate Heck all the yeah. listens, all the reviews.
0: So. We've been, man, we've been uh, so steady. Knock on wood. I got some beams right next to me. <laughs> uh, as far as just putting out content every week, we've been yeah. rocking it. You know, we haven't been releasing old patrons anymore. We've been nutting up and just putting out stuff every week, and I'm, yeah. I'm pretty proud of that. So, we Me want too, to keep man. this train of rolling and help you guys get through this quarantine. Hopefully, we're on the uh, the back end, back nine of this thing, and uh, maybe by next week we'll be even closer. So, uh, we'll see you with another freeloader episode next week, guys. Keep creeping. Yep, keep creeping, guys. See you
3: in the desert we like a mirage it's okay if you clicked on us cause you thought we was true crime garage now we ain't mad at you sit down let us talk at you i'm talking to the creeper army we out here making murder get true crime guys in the desert we like a mirage it's okay if you clicked on us cause you thought we was true crime garage no, we we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the
2: creeper army, we out here, make it murder, charming.